We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus 34. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus. We've been going for a long time. We started with the book of Genesis, went all the way through the book of Genesis, verse by verse, passage by passage. Then we realized you couldn't, you know, Genesis ends with them in captivity in Egypt, so you can't leave them down in there. Or you, they can't leave them in Egypt. We've got to get them out. And so we've got them out, and uh, they've come now really to a, a special place. They've come to Mount Sinai, and they're getting the law and, and all of those different things. Well, Moses... As the leader, and he has requested, and this is where we are in seeing this, he has requested that God show him his glory. What does this mean? Well, in Exodus 34, we're going to see Moses sees the glory of God. In fact, we see the character of our great and powerful God, because that's really what his glory is. We realize that the nation has come to Sinai. God has given them the law, setting them apart as a special people. But while at this place, we've seen a number of things. First of all, we've seen their failure. They, they made the golden calf. We've seen their cleansing as they dealt with their sin. And this evening, a key passage, and we're just starting because, you know, if you look at it, you say Exodus 34, it's 35 verses, but it's going to take us, because we're going to slow down on this, it's going to take us a little while to go through these, this passage or this chapter and see how it fits together. We see uh, Moses sees the character of God, and, and Moses said, I want to see your glory, I want to see your glory, and we'll see in the next few weeks how that ties together. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of coming together with fellow believers. Thank you for your love and grace to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Old Testament. We know the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instructions. So, Lord, we just ask you now that as we look at Exodus 34 and part of 33 and 34, that we see the character of our great God. And, and help us, Lord, as we study. Help us to see how this fits together. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Teach us now, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when we think about God, we have a problem. And the problem is this, we really can't comprehend him. Because he is the infinite, all-powerful, eternal, sovereign God, and we're finite and limited. So technically we'd say, let's, let's try to understand God, and we'd say, we can't. We'd say, what is God like? And the only way that we can understand God is by him revealing himself to us. And as we think about God revealing himself to mankind, and we talk about revelation, God making himself known, he's made himself known really in three big ways. First of all, through the creation. In Romans chapter 1, it says that through the creation, through the, through the, uh, the, the created world, we can see his eternal power and Godhead, so that mankind is without excuse. So in Romans 1, God has revealed himself through the creation, but he also has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The book of Hebrews says in these last days, God has revealed us uh, through his Son, Jesus Christ, made himself known in that way. So the creation, the Son, Jesus Christ, and then through the written revelation, which is the Word of God. We say revelation is God making himself known. Inspiration is God making himself known in a written form. So if you said, I want to know what God is like for us, the best way to know, we can look at the creation. We really don't have the Son. The Son is seated at the right hand of the Father, but what we do have is the written revelation that we can go to. And as we seek to know what God is like, we study the Scripture. We see that. As we look this evening at this passage, we find Moses requested from God, I want to see your glory. Uh, God says to Moses, you can't you can't really see my face. You can't really see me in that way. So what is God going to do? And we're going to see for the next several weeks the character of God as God reveals himself to Moses and realize that we can see the glory of God. And what I mean by that is as you look into the word of God, as you see the scripture, you can see that. Let me break down the passage because we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to go back. We, we already looked at 18 through 23 at the very end of Exodus 33, but I want to go back and just review it just a second. Moses' request to show the glory, the cleft of the rock, God passing by and all of that. But then we're going to see... 
the law and the glory, because we're going to see eight aspects of God's character in 1 through 7. We're going to see God tells Moses to come back up and get the commandments, and we'll see how that fits together. There's a lot there. And I'm going to read it slowly, because uh, you may have missed something in verse 4 of chapter 34. Don't look at it right now. Uh, <laughs> we'll get it when we get to it in just a minute. Let's think, let's think, let's look at Moses' request. Look at verse 18 of chapter 33. Moses said, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. He wants to see the glory of God. What's he talking about? He wants to know God. And, you know, the truth is we know God in several ways. We can say, I know Jesus Christ as Savior. So you know God as your Savior, but you can also know him in a different way. As Paul says, that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. So not only do we know, know God in a sense through salvation, but we can know him in a, in an ongoing way, in a personal way. You might say a relationship and then a fellowship. Uh, Moses went and, and met with God on an ongoing basis. You remember in the camp, there were all the tents. Now this is before they built the tabernacle. Moses had a tent outside the camp which he would go, Joshua stayed there a lot, Moses would go, and God's presence would come down and meet with Moses. We've already seen that already in the in the passages. So Moses spends time with God. Moses said, God, I want to know you more. I want to see your glory. I want to know you more and more and more. In fact, when he talks about that, I think the next slide, says he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me more than ever. I want to know you. And so we, we can think the same way. We can say, listen, you know, I read the scripture. I want, to, I want to know him. And the more I can dig into the scripture, the more I can understand how it fits together, and the more I see the character of God, the more I can know him. And throughout the word of God, we spend time and see the glory of God is we'll see his character. We'll see what he's really like as we look at this passage. If somebody said to you, where would you find the character of God? We're going to tell you that in Exodus 30. Four, basically verses 6 and 7, that's the character of God. He lists eight things about himself there, and we'll see those. It's going to take us a little bit to go through them. Look, look what happens after Moses said, Lord, I pray you show me, my, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now remember that. He's going to proclaim what? The name of the Lord. Now watch the next thing. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. I want you to remember three things. One, he says, um, I will make my name, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, and then he says, I will be gracious and show compassion. Just remember those three things. We're going to see something in just a minute when we get to it. But he said to him in verse 20, but you can't see my face because no man can see me and live. Now, all I'm, I think the best we can understand from that is if God revealed his true glory to Moses, it would be so powerful. He would die. And so that's what he says. And so the Lord says, behold, there's this place by me and you can stand there on the rock. And it'll come about that while my glory is passing by, I'm going to let you, let you see me, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. He says, I'm going to let you see me, but it's going to be a veiled way. It's going to be a way in which you won't die. Now, Remember, he says, I'm going to be, what, passing by. I'm going to proclaim the name. You will see grace and compassion. Just remember those because we're going to see something in just a minute. So he says, it will come about that while my glory is passing by, that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Somehow he says, I'm going to let you see some aspect of my, my form in a way that I reveal myself to you. 
It's a limited glory. We talked about when Jesus Christ was on the earth that he came and he left the glories of heaven to become a human being and he emptied himself as Philippians 2 says. That means he veiled his glory. And we said that there was a couple of times when Jesus was on the earth that he seemed to unveil that glory and let men see a little bit of his glory. One was on the Mount of Transfiguration in which he revealed himself as the king and they couldn't look at him. He was so bright. And then the other, I think, is in the garden when they came to arrest him and Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said his name of God. He said, I am. And it says they all went backwards and put their faces on the ground. So we're seeing tremendous power there. Now, I don't think it's... What Moses saw, I think Moses saw even more. And we'll see what happens here in just a minute. Now, remember, he's going to be passed by. Proclaim the name, compassion, and grace. So we'll see as as it all fits together in just a minute. Now, if you want to know what God is like, go to the passage, and we'll see it. Well, let's see what happens. Look at chapter 34. Look at verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Moses... Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. (laughs) You know, think about this. Now, remember, Moses had gone up on the mountain, had these tablets. I'm going to talk to you in just a minute because I do not think they're the same tablets that Charlton Heston brought down from the mountain, okay? Because what is Charlton Heston bringing down? He's bringing down these big tablets like this, and it's got, you know, five commandments on this side, five commandments on this side. I want to read something to you in just a minute, and we'll see what kind of tablets do you think they were. And so he says, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on, write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. Now, if you remember that Moses came down from the mountain, and by the time he got down from getting the commandments, the Ten Commandments from God, the nation of Israel had already broken all ten of them. They were having the orgy. They were doing the golden calf. And so Moses threw the tablets down and broke them. So God says, I want you to get two more tablets. Try not to break them this time. Bring them up. Come up. And, and, and I'm going to write words on them, uh, the ones that you shattered. Now watch. He says, so be ready by morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. And present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. Now this is amazing because you remember that every time that God has dealt with man, God has dealt with the nation of Israel and Moses. It's always Moses. Sometimes it's Moses and Aaron. Sometimes it was even the elders. But there's been times that God said, listen, don't let anybody come up here. Don't let any animals get on the side of the mountain. I'm going to come down and make my presence known with you. But that's the way it's going to be. In fact, if somebody touches that mountain, they're going to die. I mean, there's great power there. When people talk about God and they say things like, the old man up there, he's not an old man up there. He's the most powerful being that we could ever imagine. He is the infinite, eternal, powerful God. And we should, we should all be on our faces. He's so powerful. So he says to Moses, get ready in the morning, come up to Mount Sinai. Now, let me just remind you, because some of you may not have been here, but you remember, they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they started going some places, they ran out of water, and God gave them water, they didn't have food, God gave them food, he's been taking care of them, they have now finally come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, another name for Mount Sinai is Mount Horeb, and so they're at the mountain, and they're there, the best that we can tell, they may be there close to a year before they actually move again. But they're there, and, and uh, they're going to they're gonna build the tabernacle. They're going to do all the stuff while they're there. And God is telling Moses to come up. Now, Moses has been up several times. One time he went up, and he got the law, and, of course, broke it. He's been up. Now God says, come back up, bring two more tablets, and we're going to write on them, okay? Come up in the morning. Now, look at verse 3. Now, by the way, Moses 
is the mediator. He's the mediator. But there's something I want you to think about. With the nation of Israel this time, Moses the mediator to get the what? Anybody know? What are they going to get? The law. Later on, Joshua is the leader, as the mediator to take him in the land. Moses is a picture of what? Law. Joshua is a picture of what? Grace. Moses gave him law. Joshua gave him in the land. And what's Joshua's real name? I mean, Joshua, Yeshua, the same name as who? Same name as Jesus. So it's a picture here. Moses is a picture of law. Joshua is a picture of grace. And and watch what happens. So he says, listen, uh, here's what I want you to do. Notice, no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. He says, listen, I don't want anybody on the mountain, any person or animals, because I'm going to show my power. No man with you. Moses is the mediator between the nation and God. That's a powerful truth. Moses is one of the great... You know, if you start... If you said to the nation of Israel, you said, name your great people, they would say, Abraham, Moses, David, and there's one more. Who else would they name? Hmm? How about Daniel? See? Abraham, Moses, David, and Daniel. And so here is Moses, one of the most important men in all of history. He says, don't let anybody else come up on top of the mountain with you. Uh, Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of the mountain. Now, I want you to look carefully at this verse. Okay, look what it says. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. Now, first of all, this is a special time. He's going to see the glory of God. He's going to see his character. God is going to proclaim to Moses what he is like. Remember the words? What were they? I'm going to pass by. The name of the Lord will be proclaimed. There will be grace and compassion. Right? Now, notice carefully this verse. Do you think he's, he's going up the mountain like this? I got the two stone tablets. Is that what you think? Look what the verse says carefully. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took the two stone tablets in his singular hand. Many believe that they were not big tablets like this, but they were round like plates, and the writing was around on both sides, and that he could hold them in his hand. Okay? If it's just big old stone tablets, and he's holding them in his hand, he's pretty tough. (laughs) Think? Okay? So watch. He's coming up there. Now, this is amazing. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, I want to stop for just a second to talk about calling upon the name of the Lord because some people are confused about that. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every place in the old, every reference to call upon the name of the Lord is not a reference for eternal life salvation. It is a reference for either worship 
or deliverance from an enemy. Every time he is on this mountain, is he calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation? He's calling upon the name of the Lord as an act of worship. You remember that song, I will, I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The song has it right. He's calling upon the name of the Lord because he's coming up there to worship him. And we see that. And almost every time, let let me just say it this way. Almost every time you see call upon the name of the Lord, it is a physical deliverance. The other places that it is not a physical deliverance is an act of worship every time. There are no exceptions. So watch. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Now look at verse 6. You remember the words? The Lord was going to what? Pass by, and he was going to proclaim his what? His name, and there was going to be grace and compassion. Then the Lord, what? Passed by in front of him and proclaimed what? The Lord, the Lord God. That's his name, isn't it? So he's passing by. We see in the name, and notice what he says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and what? Gracious, slow to anger. Now he's going to give a lot more. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now what did he tell Moses back over in verse 19? I'm going to make myself known. I will pass by. I will, call, I will proclaim my name. You will see my grace and compassion. At the very beginning it says the Lord passed by. There's the name, the Lord, the Lord God, and we see compassion and grace. Now, there's more because he's given the whole thing. But notice what happened. Look at verse 6 again. Then the Lord passed by in front of him. This is when he's going to show him. I think this is referring to being in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by. And look what it says. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. And when you see that, the Lord, the Lord God, the word Lord is all capitals. Is that right? And that means it's YHWH in Hebrew. It's the personal name of God. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. It's the personal name of God. I don't know if I, yeah, I did put that up there. The personal name of God, the eternal self-existing God. As you know, YHWH comes, best we can tell, it's probably coming from the root word Hayah in Hebrew, which is the word for I am. The eternal self-existing God, the name means eternal and means powerful. It comes from that, that aspect. The Lord God, the supreme being. He's saying, you want to know my name? I'm the eternal God. I'm the Yahweh Elohim, the eternal God. He said, you want to know me? Moses is probably saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to look around yet. <laughs> right? And then he gives him. Eight aspects of what he's like. Look at them. The Lord is compassion and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeps loving kindness for thousands, forgives iniquities, and then he goes on and says, and punishes iniquities. Look at the eight characteristics. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in love and kindness, abounding in truth, he put them together in the field. He keeps his love, which means it, it continues on. He forgives sin, then he punishes sin. 
I want you to think about it before we look at the first two, because that's what we're going to see tonight. Compassion. We're going to talk more about it, but God is a compassionate God, and, and, and we're really glad, right? How about grace? He's a gracious God. We're really glad, right? What about the third one? Slow to anger. Let me ask you this. If he wasn't slow to anger, where would any of us be? Dead. Every one of us would be dead, right? Sometimes he does things that we don't grasp. We see Moses leading the people, doing everything. And he tells Moses to hit the rock and water will come out. And he hits the rock and water comes out. Then he tells Moses to speak to the rock and water will come out. And Moses doesn't speak to the rock. He hits the rock twice. Water comes out. And God says, can't go in the land. We say, isn't that a little harsh? And what he says to us is, who are you to question me? What I do and how I do things. Because I'm a perfect God. I never make a mistake. I do everything exactly right every time. Who are you to even question me? Let me ask you something. Who are we to ever question God? So he's compassionate, gracious, he's slow to anger. He overflows in loving kindness. Loving kindness is hesed, H-E-S-E-D in Hebrew. It, it means a loyal love. It's a love that never changes. He abounds in truth. You think of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He keeps his love. It means his love continues. He forgives sin. Whew. Right? He punishes the sin. Oh, no. <laughs> For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. So in this little passage, verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34, we see a picture of what God is like. Now, it's not the total picture, it's just but he's, it's what he's revealed to Moses. Look what it says in verse 8. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. What's he seeing? What's he seeing? The glory of God. That's what he asked. He said, I want to see your glory. I want to really know you. I want to know you. And God said, okay, but you can't really, really know me because if you really know me, it'll, you'll die. So what I'm going to do is put you in the cleft of the rock. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass by, I'm going to reveal my name, and you're going to see my grace and compassion, and I'm going to even give you more. And that's what he does. Let's talk about the first one, compassion. Notice what he says, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. Compassion. God is a God of compassion. God deals with us in, in a compassionate way. The Hebrew word means to, to, uh, to, to form a connection, so to speak. It's almost like you, you care. Compassion has an idea that, that, that Hebrew is that I care about you. The, as a father to a child, so he treats us. Listen to this. Psalm 103 verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, has compassion on those who fear him. God, our Father, has compassion on his children. That's, that's the greatest thing of all. Um, when you think, when you think of your father, and for some, when you think of your father, you love it. And for some, when you think of your father, uh, you, you don't. Because your father might have been distant or, or mean or angry. Or have so many problems that you couldn't relate to him. But then there's others who, their father, you just, you want to be with him all the time? Our Heavenly Father is a perfect father. And he is a compassionate God. He chooses to be compassionate. 
In Exodus 33, 18, as we saw at 33, 18 and 19, he said, I will show you compassion. Listen to this. His compassion is tied to the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail to destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to you. I read that wrong. He will not fail you nor destroy you. He's not going to ever because he's never going to forget the covenant. And it goes back to his compassion. It goes back to the fact that he cares about us. I had somebody say to me one time about something they were praying about. And I said, I said no, I said, well, just pray about that. That's good. They said, oh, it's, it's too little. Is anything too little? Is anything too big? Let me ask you something. Is anything big too big for God? Everything's little to him. I mean, if you bring something to God and say, that's too little or this is too big, he goes, they're all too little, right? I mean, you don't have to worry. Just throw them all to me. I mean, they're all little. He knows everything. He cares about everything. That's why we can come to him anytime, anyplace, anywhere. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Look at this. He created us. He saves us. He provides. He protects. He cares about everything. Why? Because he is compassionate. That's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Do what? Let your request be made known to God. Just tell him everything. Talk to him. He cares about you beyond what you could imagine. Let me, this is going to sound funny. He cares more about you than you care about you. And that's saying something, right? There's a second word, and it's grace. He's gracious. He said, uh, compassionate and gracious. The grace of God. I think uh, I always say that uh, the word love in the Old Testament, hesed, and the word love in the New Testament, agape, are two of the greatest words. But tied in with it has got to be the word grace. I mean, it's got to be because that's how he deals with us. Grace literally means unmerited favor. It means we don't earn it. God freely gives us. God always deals with us in grace. God deals with mankind in his grace. He chooses to give us grace. Think about Israel. What, what did Abraham do for God to say, I'm going to take you, give you a land seed, blessing, great nations going to come for you, the Messiah's going to come for you, I'm great, your name great, and in all, in you, Abraham, every bit of the whole world we bless through you. What did Abraham do for that? Absolutely nothing. What did we do to have eternal life? Absolutely nothing. We didn't earn it. God promised them. He gave them Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God promised them the land. What did they do to get the land? What they have to do? Nothing. God said, that's your land. Now, I want to just, real briefly, because we just got just a few minutes left, I want to talk about grace and salvation for just a second. Because it's really confusing with a lot of people. That we're sinners, we come short of the glory of God. God does not give us what we deserve as justice. You do not want the justice of God. You want the grace and mercy of God, not the justice of God. God is a just God, and, all, and, and he's dealt, he's, he's poured out his justice on Jesus Christ, not on us. So you don't want to say, God, you better be just with me. God says, no, you don't want me to be just with you. You want me to be gracious and merciful to you. We've all sinners and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior in His grace. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again for us. All who believe, it's just faith, it's not works, it's faith, have eternal life by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. Salvation is a gift. It is not what we do or try to do or keep on doing. Salvation is a gift given to us. In fact, if you do one thing at all, it is no longer grace. Because grace is, no, is not works. If grace, if there's works at all involved, it is no longer grace. Now, 
We've talked about this before, and this is nothing new at Countryside, but there are so many people confused on the salvation message, and we say to people, you must believe in him and you have eternal life. It's the gift. But people say things like make a commitment or give your life to Christ, or it's not what you commit and it's not what you give. It's what God gives you. It's not what you give God. When people say you have to make him Lord or publicly confess him or walk down an aisle, it's not what you do. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. People say you have to be baptized. You've got to go to church. You've got to give money. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments. All of these are works. You're saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. God is a God of grace. Charles Ryrie said this, Christianity is distinct from religion because it is a message of grace. Jesus Christ is the supreme revelation of God's grace. Salvation is by grace. The Christian life is a life based on the grace of God. Titus 2, 11 through 13, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's the grace of God that brings salvation. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live righteously and godly in this present age. And the grace of God is ready for us as we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. That's Titus 2, 11, 12, and 13. All the grace of God for salvation, Christian life, and future. It's all the grace of God. Everything that he does is by grace. So as we look this evening at the glory of God, we see... That he is a God of compassion and he is a God of grace. And we just got started because he also says that he's slow to anger. Yay. Abounding in loving kindness. I overpour my love to you. We go, yay. Overflowing in truth. Yay. Even the last one deals with sin. What would you be like if he didn't deal with your sin on a daily basis. How bad would you be? We'd be really bad. I mean, we're bad already, but think how bad we would be. So, let me give you a couple of applications. Number one, seek to know God. Seek to know Him. Just as Moses said, met with God and said, I want to know you, I want to know you in a greater way. We can know Him several ways. First of all, we know Him salvation. By faith, we have eternal life. We know Him as Savior. And you can say to people, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? Yes or no? Yes, I trusted Christ as my Savior. We know Him as Savior. But there's a second way to know Him as well. And that is we know Him in His glory and His character. And that's why Paul says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. We can know Him as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Think about it. We grow in the grace and knowledge as we know Him. So it's powerful. So we want to know Him in His glory. What's He like? How are we going to do it? How are you going to know Him? How are you going to know Him? Huh? Go to the Word of God and dig it. That's right. See Him. Look at Exodus. Memorize. Why don't you do this? Why don't you memorize Exodus 34, 6 and 7? See, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, low to anger, overflowing with loving kindness and truth. Forgive sins. Punishes sins. That's who he is. Second, thank God for his compassion and grace. Thank God for his compassion. He's a God of compassion because he deals with us as his children. He knows and cares about everything. But not only is he... Listen, listen to this, compassion. Uh, I read this little story. It said, it's compassion shown by a man who fell in the pit. A man fell in a pit. The Pharisees said, bad people fall in the pits. The fundamentalist said, you deserve the pit. The optimist said, it could get worse. The pessimist says it will get worse, and the Heavenly Father pulls us out of the pit. That's what compassion is. He's also a God of grace, grace and compassion. Do you want the justice of God? No. You want the what? The grace of God. It's by grace we're saved through faith, 
Not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Thank God for his grace for salvation, his grace for the Christian life, his grace for the future. So as we seek to know God day by day, may we thank him for his grace. Thank you for his compassion. And may we seek to make a difference for him as we live here. Heavenly Father, what a... What a great night. Thank you for the passage. Thank you for all the truths that are there. Lord, we want to know you. The truth is we say we want to know you, and, and, and we really don't make much effort. At least I know I don't, Lord. I'm, I'd like to do better. We know you as our Savior because you died for us and paid for sins and rose again, and we trusted in you to give us eternal life, and we thank you for that. But, Lord, we want to know you. We want to... We want to know you in the same way that Moses said he wanted to know you. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. So let us see you as a gracious God and a compassionate God and a God who's slow to anger and overflowing with loving kindness and overflowing with truth and and all of these things and and whose loving kindness goes on and on and on and on and who forgives sins and who deals with sins. So may we know you. Lord, as we think tonight about you, thank you for your compassion. You know about everything. You care about everything. Thank you for your grace, for salvation, Christian life, and future. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions or comments? I know we just got about a minute, really. Well, let me ask you this question. Then. So how, how are we going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, what do you say, Anthony? Get into the Word. What did you say? Same thing. Study the Word. Get into the Word of God. But but it's more than it's more than just what studying the Scripture is knowing and applying. What were you going to say? say that was what you were going to say. You were going to say it's not only studying the Bible. It's what it's making application. I remember that. Prof. Hendrickson, you've heard me say this, but Prof. Hendrickson at Dallas Seminary would always say this. He would, is about the first day of class on a class called BE 101 or something. It was Bible exposition, Bible study, where you, it was hermeneutics where you learned how to study the Bible and you'd go in there and Prof. Hendrickson would come in and he'd say, what is the purpose? What is the goal of the study of the Word of God? And, and he'd look at it and they'd say, to know the Word. And he'd go, wrong. And they'd go, no. And finally he'd say, the goal of the study of the Word of God is application. Study it so you can apply it. Now, there's one more step there. What is it? Pass it on. Pass it on. Know it. Apply it. Pass it on. Okay, so if y'all not going to ask any questions, I won't ask any more then. Okay. Okay. All right. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for the privilege we have of being together and studying your word. Help us to know you in a way that we've never known you before. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.